Well, unless you've been living under a rock, completely disconnected from the outside world with no conversations with friends or family members or work colleagues, no input from our media or no social media. Unless you've been living like that, you're probably feeling, I guess, a degree of COVID confusion, COVID anxiety, COVID concern right now. It seems like we are constantly, not just daily, but hourly even, being bombarded with new information, new perspectives, new viewpoints on COVID. Maybe you're feeling a bit weary, a bit anxious, a bit unsure of who to turn to, who to believe, what perspective to believe. Maybe you're feeling like you don't know how to respond as a follower of Jesus. How does a Christian live in a COVID culture? Well, if that's you, stick around because in this episode of the Christians in Culture podcast, I'm going to talk about that very thing. Season 2, Episode 1 of the Christians in Culture podcast. So good to have you with us today. Well, if you haven't met me before, my name is Rowan and I'm the lead pastor at C3 Camden, Picton and Thrall. Uh, when I was in last season, when we were recording last season, which is going back nearly two years ago now, I think it was about 19 months ago, we released the final episode of Season 1. I was the lead pastor at Camden and Picton. Since then, we have also, my wife Aunt Jilla and I have also become pastors at Thrall as well. And we had intended to release a second season of Christians in Culture in 2020, but for obvious reasons, including taking on a new church, including the pandemic, including changing and moving house and all kinds of things, uh, the time didn't permit it. It wouldn't have been a most effective use of my time. However, I've really felt like it's time to resurrect the podcast for a number of reasons. But before we do, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Bear and Jimmy Brennan, who assisted me with season one and a number of other guests that we had that we interviewed. And in season two, God willing that we can go ahead with this, we'll begin to release some more podcasts. May not be as regular as they were in season one. But uh, we'll do some interviews. I'd like to, I've got a few different topics and some perspectives I'd like to explore. Exploring how we as Christians can do Christians in a COVID culture, really. While we're in this COVID season, what does it mean to be a Christian and represent Christ well? What you're going to find is if you haven't listened to the first season, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the I think it was 14 episodes or something that we did in the first season. And uh, it's amazing how almost prophetic uh, so much of that was. It, it's 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 no less applicable today than it was when we did it. In fact, in many ways, with the the seeming polarizing views that have come out um, because of the COVID, and it seems like everything's just risen to the surface because of that. The question of how we as Christians represent Jesus in a culture like we're in today can be very prevalent. And so uh, I'll refer back to it at different times, but I might refer in this conversation to previous episodes. Feel free to go back and listen to those, and I trust that they'll help you as well. So I really wanted to, uh, felt it was time to resurrect this podcast because uh, I have sensed in conversations with people in recent times a fair degree of anxiety uh, among Christians about what to believe, who to believe, who to trust, who not to trust. Is it a conspiracy? Isn't it a conspiracy? And all of that kind of stuff. And so for many people who who wouldn't consider themselves experts or informed, they're left with this, this rising anxiety, even among your friends and family who have different viewpoints to you. And so you don't know what to do with that. You don't know who to trust. Then there are others who, who have made what they would consider an informed decision. And uh, that's great. That's what I encourage people to do. Do your best that you can 
to make an informed decision. But ultimately, as we're going to see in a minute, it, it does come into a degree of faith. It does come down to a degree of trust when it comes to how is we as Christians to interact with uh, the various restrictions and, and instructions that our government places around us. How do we as Christians represent Christ well in our community? There is going to be a degree of trust in that regard. And I particularly wanted to, in this podcast episode especially, present a a perspective, I guess, for what I would consider the middle ground, the the moderate perspective. And uh, that's where I'm coming. I consider my my viewpoint reasonably moderate. You might listen to my viewpoint and you might say, oh, Rowan's gone all woke, or or, Rowan's not woke enough, or Rowan's too far to the left, or Rowan's too far to the right. And and, uh, and you're entitled to your opinion. We kept saying that constantly in season one. We're not about different people not having opinions. In fact, it's a designated right that we believe that God has given every human being, the, the right of free will, the, the right of choice. And it's, it's wrong, it's abusive, it's controlling for any individual to make another person feel like they have to believe the same, look the same, dress the same as they are. That's actually control and that's not God. Uh, so I'm not here to present and tell you, you have to believe what I have to believe. I want you to do your own research. I'm going to present to you what I believe and, and why I believe it. But I'm all the while aware that I'm growing, I'm changing, I'm learning. What I believed 18 months ago, I might not believe in some areas. I'm always learning. And so I want to talk to that moderate middle. Those of you who are either confused or those of you who maybe have made what you would consider a degree of informed decision, but you just feel as though to enter into some of the more hotly contested arguments and debates wouldn't be beneficial. And it might not be uh, it might not be in the best interest of, of healthy unity and relationships. And I suspect most people, uh, this is not just my gut feeling. This is in conversations with people. I suspect most people who have that perspective, and they see strong viewpoints on social media from other people, maybe friends or families, they just tend to shut up. They just tend to not like the post and just keep quiet and just don't want to rock the boat. And I actually think that's a noble thing to do to some degree. The reason I think that is not that we shouldn't be able to have conversation around different perspectives. It's that I feel at times that people who move away from the moderate middle, and this is probably a generalization, but I'd say in my experience it's most, it certainly gives me this impression, people who move away from the moderate middle tend to present their arguments for for or against a certain issue in a way that seems strong and domineering. And if that's you and you think, oh, that's not me, maybe just ask a few people around you. Maybe you don't realize you're doing it. Ask people, hey, when I post this on social media or when I have this conversation, how do I come across? Because maybe you don't realize how strong you come across. Maybe you don't realize that there's this assumption that seems that people seem to get that you think your perspective is absolute right. When you start using words like the truth, this is the truth of it, or this is, this is right, or it's all facts, or it's all lies and all that sort of stuff, in marriage counseling, I, I, we know that you don't use it's always and you never and all that sort of stuff. That's not how you have a healthy relationship. And when people start doing that, it doesn't invite conversation. It in, Actually, it shuts people down because it's like there's this sense in people, well, I can't have a different perspective to you because I'm just going to be marked an idiot or, or, or deceived or, or you're going to block me and all that sort of stuff. So you might not feel that, but that's what comes across. And so, and that, that doesn't just happen on one end or the other of any issue. That happens at the, the further you get from the moderate. 
on any perspective. You will find that. Uh, you'll have people who are way to the left of the political spectrum who, who have that perspective. You'll have people who are to the right of that uh, the political spectrum who have that perspective. And so some of you will find my information challenging because you'll feel like I am either too left or too right or too woke or not woke. But I'm going to present that middle ground. And here's the fact, friends. Uh, sociologists have shown us that there's an exhausted middle. I can't remember the name of the, the, the um, surveys, that report that came out back a couple of years ago, but you'll find referenced in, in our previous episodes in season one, that they, they kind of called this the exhausted majority, I think it was. There's, there's a vast majority of people on social issues that sit in the middle. And off the top of my head, it's like 80% of people who sit in the middle and either don't have a strong perspective or have a moderate perspective, but they don't voice it for fear of it just causing more harm. And so it seems like the strong perspectives are what everybody thinks. Everybody's thinking COVID's a conspiracy or everybody's thinking the government isn't locking down people enough or whatever the perspective. It seems like from one end of the the ring or the other, people are shouting their opinions at each other as though theirs is right and there's no room for uh, any kind of differing perspective. Well, friends, I want you to know, if you're in the moderate middle, you're not alone. Most people live there. Most people live there. And uh, we've lost the art of conversation. Conversation means I want to be able to learn from the left or the right or, or from a different perspective to me. I want to hear. I want to have conversation. And we talked about this in season one as well. We've lost the art of that. And I think it's to our detriment because it's polarizing us. And so if you, uh, let's let's use the example. We talked about this in season one too, but let's talk about uh, your social media feed. If you're on social media, you'll know what I'm talking about. Let's say your Facebook feed. There's a good chance among your friends or your families uh, that you probably do get one predominant perspective uh, on COVID. We're going to focus largely on COVID, but these principles apply to other social issues as well. You probably get one dominant perspective coming across. It'll either be pro or it'll be against. Pro something or against something. It's either it's pro the conspiracy of COVID it's pro, it's, or it's pro, uh, you know, the fact that we need to be locked down more or, or whatever it might be. You'll have one strong view. The reason for that is that the Facebook algorithm, the Google algorithm, they make sure that you get more of what you already listen to. They understand something called confirmation bias, which is, I might do a series on different biases at some point in the future, but they understand confirmation bias, which is one of the, the strongest, most uh, insidious forms of, of cognitive bias that we have. Uh, the value of that for, for Mark Zuckerberg, for Mr. Google, Mrs. Google, whatever it might be, the value of that is that it helps them to make money. They make money through advertising. And so by giving you more of what you already want, using the cookies on your phone or on your computer, giving you more of what you already want, they know that they will generate business from that. So they're using cognitive bias for their advantage against you. Now, it doesn't make it bad. They're just It's just what they're doing. But if you're not aware of that, you can very easily fall into the trap of thinking, well, everybody else in my feed thinks this, so I have to think this too. I heard a Christian who was saying, I thought all Christians were supposed to think this is the end times and the COVID is the mark of the beast and that the, the vaccine is the, the mark of the beast. And I, I thought that's what Christians believed. And I didn't really think that, but I just thought, oh, maybe I'm, I'm wrong because I thought that's what we have to believe. Why? Because that's all they were hearing. That's all their social media feed was giving them. And so it was getting reinforced. And so to trick the algorithm, you actually have to go out of your way to force yourself to research and lift, listen to different perspectives, to consciously avoid, do everything you can to avoid the uh, the confirmation bias that we all fall into. 
And I'm aware I fall into it. I like to listen to perspectives that agree with me. And I get irky when I hear different perspectives that I don't agree with. But I force myself to listen to these different perspectives. I force myself through gritted teeth sometimes. And I even try not to be too critical. I actually go, can I find some good in what they're saying? More often than not, I'll find things that I disagree with. But I I look for things. What can I learn out of this different perspective? Trying to uh, trick my confirmation bias. And so that is, we, we all need to do that in order to overcome this perspective. And so that's talking to people who may have strong views on one end of the other of say COVID for instance. But for those of us that are in the middle, I want to as it come as a shepherd, I guess. And, and as a shepherd, especially if you're a member of our congregation, I, I want to present uh, a little bit of a, a guidance, not control. Uh, we do not believe in control. Control is 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 anti, anti-God. I'm not here to tell you what you have to believe or not believe, not control you. I'll tell you what I believe and why I believe it, and then I'll encourage you to think about things for yourself. And hopefully, you'll have a degree of trust in me as your leader. That you'll go, okay, well, I don't mind, I might not agree with everything Rowan says, but but I know that he's got my best interest at heart. I know that he's doing what he thinks is right. And that leads me to my first point about this, actually, and that is that we all bring with us to this conversation a degree of faith. What do I mean? Well, I mean that you're not an expert on COVID. I'm not an expert on COVID. None of us are experts on COVID, unless you're an immunologist. Even then, there are different experts that have different perspectives. There are medical people that have different perspectives. I jokingly say sometimes, well, that's why they call it practicing medicine, because they're all trying to figure it out. I actually think that's probably part of the truth. There is a degree of learning, change that happens in these areas, and we all bring faith to it. I saw a fantastic meme of some guy sitting at his computer and yelling out to his wife in the next room saying, hey, honey, come check this out. I found something that all the experts didn't realize. (laughs) That's what we do. We fall into the trap of thinking we're an expert. Hey, friends, just because you read it on the internet doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily what everybody else believes. And confirmation bias means that we can all find uh, perspectives that are the same as ours. Let me read to you what confirmation bias is. It says, this type of bias refers to the tendency to seek out information that supports something you already believe. And it, because of that, it's a particularly sub, uh, pernicious subset of the cognitive biases that we have. We're looking for verification. We're looking for validation. We're looking for things that will validate what we want to believe. Now, we can all find that. And we will find that. We can all find an expert backing our case. You you might have found an expert with a you might have found a document with a hundred doctors certificates that backs your case as if to present that and throw that on social media and say, look, he's a hundred doctors who think COVID is a hoax or whatever. You might have found that. But you think, oh just because it's a hundred doctors it must be true. But friends, just some simple mathematics. You can find a hundred doctors, but what about the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands of doctors sitting in the moderate middle who don't agree? So it boils down to trust. Am I going to believe 100 doctors or am I going to believe the prevailing worldview? What is the prevailing worldview? And because it's medicine, there is some things that change. I mean, the prevailing worldview 12 months ago was that COVID was predominantly uh, passed through touching surfaces, surface transmission. Well, we know that that's not really the case now. We know now it's mainly by breathing. I remember all the anti-mask sentiment, was be- a lot of it was because people were saying, well, you don't get it that way. You get it through touching. And now we know that's not the case. So the world's experts are figuring this out as they go. 
And then, if that's the case, who are we to think we know best? We've got to give a degree of grace to people who are who are practicing, who are learning. We've got to acknowledge that. There are genuine people out there trying to do their best, whether we agree with them or not. This goes for medical people. This goes for politicians, doctors. We have to agree. We have to, I, I believe, we have to believe, put it out there right now before I can explain why, I believe we have to believe that the people we have, at least in our nation, in Australia, are doing their best. Whether or not I agree with their decisions, and there are lots I don't agree with personally. I think it's over the top in certain areas and it's not strong enough in other areas. But I have to make a, cho- a choice. We all make this choice. Who are we going to believe? Am I going to believe the perspective I read, the expert opinion, quote, unquote, or am I going to believe the prevailing worldview? Am I going to believe what the medical advice says? And friends, you're going to have to make a faith step on that. There's no way around that. You can make an informed faith step, but it's still a faith step. And so let's be careful about uh, when we enforce our opinion that we somehow it comes across as though we are denying the fact that there are people out there who are doing their best to try to uh, come up with uh, valid assumptions, beliefs, recommendations with regard to how we should deal with the COVID pandemic in our world. So given that you have an underlying belief, the question obviously is, well, what's yours? The question to ask yourself is, well, what's my underlying belief? If you haven't stop to think about what your underlying belief is, that's step one. Because unless you do that, everything that flows out of your mouth, everything that flows out is going to be, there's going to be a degree of naivety to it because you don't even know what your underlying belief is. And after some research, you might have an underlying belief that's different to mine. And that's okay. You're welcome to that opinion. I'm welcome to disagree with you. You're welcome to disagree with me. And it doesn't mean that we can't have unity. This is the point, friends. I can still have unity with someone who's completely different to me. You see, we're not united around our political views. We're not united around our COVID views. We're united as a Christian in culture. We're united around Jesus. So let's stay united around him. And he welcomes people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different political backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different gender backgrounds, different generational backgrounds. We talked about this at length in the the previous series. It was the Roman Empire that tried to make everybody look the same, sound the same, as though that was some kind of unity, speak the same language. The Christian church enabled huge levels of diversity on lots of things. And in fact, it's you see this in the book of Ephesians, it's the testimony of the fact that the Christians can disagree on so many things. Christians can look different on so many things and still unite around Jesus. That's the testimony of the kingdom of God to the principalities and powers, to the enemy and to the world around us. So we don't have to agree, friends, in order to be a Christian uh, and, and unite around Jesus. So the questions to ask yourself, I wrote a few down here. Is there a grand conspiracy? Is there a grand conspiracy? Is is there some cabal, some Illuminati cabal behind the scenes pulling the strings of all the world governments to bring about some satanic plot to deceive the world? That's one perspective, that that's what's going on. And I've read my fair share of Christian fiction books, end times Christian fiction books, so I happen to like, and they more often than not tend to have that perspective. Uh, Is... That's one perspective. The other perspective is, is the government lying to us? Are they deceiving us? Or, or maybe, are they even lying to us or withholding information from us for what they would perceive to be the right reasons? Is that happening? So they could be lying to us for their own selfish reasons, 
Or they could be withholding truth from us because they feel as though we're not ready for it or we won't handle it well. Parents do that with kids sometimes. So is that what they're doing? Is there religious persecution? You know, is the church being persecuted today because we can't have services or, you know, we have to wear masks or, or whatever? You know, are we being religiously persecuted? I'm going to come back to that separately in my minutes, in a few minutes' time. Another perspective is, do the authorities genuinely want the best, generally want the best for us? Do they, are they generally trying to look out for us? They might be practicing their politics, they might be practicing their medicine, they're trying to figure things out, they're making best case guesses. Do they genu- generally want the best for us? That's a different perspective. So before we even talk about whether people are making informed decisions, we need to ask ourselves what perspective are we taking on faith? What things are we choosing to believe? So what do I, what does Rowan choose to believe out of those? Well, I've chosen to believe the last one. I've chosen to believe that by and large in Australia, in this country we live in, that our governments, regardless of whether they're Labour or Coalition, regardless of whether they're far to the left or far to the right politically, that by and large, and this doesn't just go for COVID, this goes for all things. This is my choice. I've chosen to believe that in our in our nation, the vast majority, if not all of our politicians, are trying to do the right thing by our nation. Even those that I completely disagree with on ethical grounds or political grounds. They might have a different perspective on an issue to me. But I've chosen to believe that they believe that they're doing what's best. That they are believing that they're actually looking out for other people. And uh, can I prove that? No, I can't really. Can I prove that there's no grand conspiracy cabal behind things, pulling things down? I can't really. So I'm making a faith step. But what I'm doing is I've chosen to make a faith step based upon which I believe, the thing that I believe is the easiest to believe. And here's why I believe it's pretty easy. Because by and large, we are in a democracy in Australia. That means that if we don't like, as a nation, if we don't like our politicians, they don't hang around very long. We'll vote them out. Their own party will kick them out. Is it foolproof 100%? No. But it's largely a healthy environment to be in. I can trust that my politicians, generally speaking, want the best for me. Does that mean they don't have their own biases? Of course they do. We all do. We need to be aware of them. Just like I've been saying, you and I need to be aware of our biases. A good politician is aware of their biases. And sometimes I listen to the press conferences and I'll think, if you would just get outside of your your uh, party bubble for a minute or get beyond just worrying about the fact you've got to pick on the other side, maybe you'd realize that that other side actually had a couple of good points there. And this goes for this goes for both sides of politics, I feel this way. So there is bias, and sometimes they fall into it as much as the rest of us. But good politicians will try to be aware of that, I believe. Now, we're not living in a dictatorship. I, I believe we're living in a democracy. And so when Christians, this is, I'm just going to get into what I believe and why I believe it now and, uh, you know, give you some perspective and you're free to have a different perspective. You're free to think that I'm deceived or... I'm fooled or whatever, and that's fine. You're free to believe that, but just realize that's probably coming not from fact any more than mine's coming from fact. That's coming from you making a decision based upon your bias. So everything I'm going to say is going to come out of my underlying bias that generally speaking, I believe that that our authorities are trying to do the best. Okay, so with that in mind, that's where I'm coming from. But compared to, say, China, 
or I was reading in the news this morning, Myanmar, we've got it pretty good. I was reading in Myanmar this morning where they're going around locking up doctors for practicing COVID. The, since the military regime has come in, it's cracked down and the doctors are being imprisoned. I mean, these are the doctors that are helping people but because they're not towing the political line, they're being locked up. Uh, I believe that this happened in China. You may have heard that early on there was talk coming out of China that they were just locking people down, that they were just uh, shutting doors and locking people in to, to their homes so that they couldn't get out who had the virus. And so no, no one thinks that's good. Let me, having said that, let me tell you. Let me tell you about. I did some study uh, during my during my holidays. I had four weeks off, mid June to mid July, and uh, could have came back in the middle of lockdown. But uh, during that time, I, I just wanted to do some learning, as I, I like to do, and so I watched an undergraduate degree, undergraduate level core train uh, lectures on DNA, and I studied the nature of human DNA. And I wanted to do that because I want to learn a little bit about all the conversation around mRNA vaccines. Might talk about that in another podcast episode and some of the fear fear around concerns around mRNA vaccines and are they altering our core being and all that sort of stuff. So I wanted to do some research into that. So I'm studying uh, DNA during that time. You know, and I found in that, that really viruses, um, there is one sure way to kill COVID-19. There is one way we can do it. Viruses need hosts. So if we remove the opportunity for virus transmission, the virus will die. Virus cannot live outside of a host for any length of time. So how can we do that? Well, in Australia, we could close our borders completely to the outside world, like literally close our borders, like no food gets in, no shipments gets in, nothing. We could shut down every home, force everybody under military rule to stay inside their house for seven days. If we did that, we would kill the virus. That's longer than one incubation period. The virus would die, okay? And that's the sort of thing they're trying to do in Myanmar. That's what they're trying to do in China, trying to do it that way. The problem is there are social implications. There are uh, compassionate grounds. What about the people who are sick? What about the people who need to be fed? But if we were to ignore all of that and just say, let's, oh, that's all collateral damage. Everyone's just going to have to be hungry. You just have to go with what food you've got, what, what toilet paper you've got in your house. I mean, we know how it is with toilet paper. Imagine if, we, if the government came out tomorrow and said, right, you're all going to be shut down on Wednesday for seven days straight. What would happen? There would be a major run on the banks. There'd be a run on the supermarkets and all that sort of stuff. But even then, if we could do that, what about the vulnerable? What about people who are in destructive relationships at home and need to get out of those situations and that's happening every day all day what about people in care what about hospitals people in hospital oh that's all collateral damage well if we did that we would kill the virus and a lot of people in the process so that's going to work but at what cost so i think what our governments are trying to do is is figure this out they're practicing they're trying to work out what can we do for minimum disruption to the economy for people's lives but also to prevent what we've seen in other countries was just this thing spiraling out of control. So that's what I think our, our, our politicians have chosen to do the best. They, by and large, are trying to do the best they can, and I've chosen to believe them. So what does that mean? If you have that perspective as well, what does that mean? Because you might feel like if you say that, people will label you, label you stupid. Well, it doesn't automatically mean that you're naive or stupid. Maybe just hearing me say this has taken away some of that naivety and you feel like, well, that's, okay, that makes sense. I believe that. Okay, so no longer should you feel naive or stupid. It doesn't mean you haven't thought things through. In fact, you probably thought it through to the point where you've chosen to believe that. And 
I think there is probably many people who have different perspectives to me, whether they're either end of this spectrum, whether they're thinking we're not locking down people hard enough or they're thinking lockdowns are a hoax or lockdowns are uncaring, wherever they come from on this perspective, there's probably a lot of people who haven't thought through the fact that they're already making a, a, a faith decision. So you already, if you've done that, you're ahead of the game for many. You've made an informed decision and recognition that you're actually making some choices in faith. You're making some premise that you cannot prove or disprove. You're just going on the balance of evidence. This, I believe, is the best faith statement to make. So it doesn't mean that you're an idiot. And I want to say this. you could, Everyone can find evidence to support their perspective. Everybody can. And uh, professionals can do that. Politicians can do that. The media will do that. Pastors can do that. We can all find evidence to support our perspective. We just need to be mindful of that. That just because we can find evidence doesn't mean that automatically that evidence is correct. It might be, it might be wrong. It might have some as, um, aspects of truth in it. But what we're looking for, what I'm choosing to do, is trust that those in authority over me, like as a child, just trust their parents know what's best. I'm choosing to trust that while I don't necessarily like the decisions that they're making on every point, I'm choosing to trust that like a good parent, they're doing the best they can and, and, and that they're aware of and have access to far more information than I'm going to find on the internet. They've got much more access to that because they've got experts who are doing research that's peer-reviewed, that's constantly being uh, evaluated, and their views are changing. I constantly hear the media hounding them. Well, how come you said this yesterday? And how come you said this a month ago? And therefore you're wrong because you've changed your mind. But that's actually a sign that they are open to grow and learn. A stubborn person in position of authority would say, no, I believe this on March last year in 2020. I believed that it was surfaces that uh, transmitted the virus. I still believe that. That would be naive. All of us would say that would be naive. Because why? The information has grown. They've change their perspective. And right now in our current climate, things are changing constantly, especially here in New South Wales. They're trying things and it's not working. They're trying something else and it's not working. That's actually not a sign of incompetence. It's a sign that they're doing, the, I think it, personally speaking, I think it's a sign they're doing the best they can trying to figure out as they go based upon what do I do with the information I have. And as, as a leader, I'm vehemently aware uh, that I lead people and, and I'm responsible for people. I'm feeling the weight of saying this because what if I'm wrong? Am I leading you astray? I'm hoping that I can, in all of this, share my heart, but also say, hey, don't just take my word for it. Have an informed decision. I trust you to make your own opinion, to do your own research, and that's what I'm trying to encourage you to do, not just willy-nilly accept it. Oh, Pastor Rowan said it. it. It must be true. Because that is dangerous. And, uh, I, I, you know, you need to be aware. I, I wasn't going to say this, but I think I will. I'll go there. Let's just go there. We need to be aware of what we're listening to what media we're listening to. Uh, if you're listening to uh, Sky News, if you're listening to TG, 2GB, for instance, if you're listening to people like Alan Jones, Ray Hadley, you're listening to, well, we know, what do they call them? They call them shock jocks. So we're listening to people who, one, they make their income and livelihood out of um, bucking the system. They're shock, being shocking. You're also listening to people who lean very far to the right of the political spectrum. And you might lean to the far to the right of the polit political spectrum, and I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying be aware that they do. Okay? That's not bad. Just be aware that they do. Or if you're listening to the panel <laughs> on Channel 10, is it? The, you're listening to 
perspectives that are leaning way to the left. And so it's a different perspective. And if you're not sure what left and right means, go back and listen to one of my previous episodes. But basically, in a nutshell, the left tends to be what we would call the more progressive in society and the right tends to be the more conservative in society. And where do Christians tend to fit? Well, I think Christians probably, by and large, tend towards the right. The more stronger perspectives, I was going to say extreme, but I'd say stronger perspectives of Christians will definitely be far to the right. But there is a... I'm, I'm feeling and sensing that there is an increasing amount of Christians that are probably being more centered, even center left in some areas. So that's, that's um, and people who are to the right who are Christians are going to call me heretical for that. They will. But I think that's what's happening is that some of those uh, rough regions are being knocked off. And so you can have a right perspective. You can have a left perspective on, on all kinds of social and ethical issues. Just be aware of who you're listening to. So if you're listening to, a right perspective, force yourself to listen to a left perspective. If you're always hearing left perspectives, turn on TGB, turn on Sky, Sky News, and listen to what Alan Jones has to say. And I, I, this is the reason I bring out Alan Jones is that was one that just came across my feed uh, several times in the last few weeks. Uh, if you're not aware, Alan Jones has been very, very outspoken against the government and lockdown and uh, saying outright, basically saying outright that it's wrong. And uh, what it, what his motives are for that, I don't know. I suspect that I mean, he makes a lot of money out of it, so I suspect that even if he's trying to do the right thing, there's probably a clouded financial motive there. But even if his motives were right and he believes it, uh, it's just one perspective. And so I was listening to something. It was one of the posts he put up, and he said something like he just put figures and facts out there, but he didn't actually comment on them as though everyone would agree with him. Or I think with one, in one particular case, which I'll share in a minute, I, I thought, are you... Are you just playing on the fact that people are, are not intelligent enough to think through what you're saying? And here's the example again. I don't remember the exact figures. I think he said something like, in the last, in the in 18 months before COVID, there were 300,000 cases of the flu. So in 18 month period, there were 300,000 cases of the flu. It might have been the other way around. It might have been a nine month period. There were 300,000, I think it might have been. 300,000 300, cases of the flu in a nine month period or something like that. And there were about 700 odd deaths that came from the flu. Tragic deaths, absolutely. So 700 from 300,000 cases. The next stat he put out there is goes, in the last 18 months, we've had 30,000 cases of COVID-19. So we've had one-tenth of the number of cases that he was quoting. Instead of 300,000, 30,000. And we've had 900 odd deaths. So we've had 900 deaths. And then he said, why is it that we, with 300,000 cases, we didn't hear anything about lockdowns, we didn't hear anything about uh, you know, forcing people to stay behind their homes, not being able to work, all those kinds of things. Why didn't we hear any of that? And, it, and the argument seemed to be, I, I listened to it three or four times, and I, I'm only assuming, his argument is, well, we had 700 deaths. We've only had 900 deaths, so why are we making a big deal about the 900 deaths when we didn't make a big deal about the 700 deaths? And the missing link in the argument, and if you've heard it and maybe I'm missing something, please let me know if I'm missing something. But the missing link seemed to be, but that was 900 deaths on one-tenth of the cases. So a bit of simple mathematics, which he didn't seem to do, a bit of simple mathematics would say that we would have, if we had 300,000 cases of COVID, we would have at least 10 times as many deaths. So instead of 900 deaths, we would have had 9,000 deaths. And if that's the case, suddenly the, the equation looks very different. 700 deaths, 9,000 deaths and growing because COVID is more contagious than the flu. So it wouldn't stop at 300,000 cases. So if that's the case, it seemed to me that he was using an argument which actually supported lockdown, not, not against it. 
Now, I'm saying that, I'm picking on that. I could pick on lots of arguments on the left side of politics as well. There are all kinds of crazy things that people, I feel people are saying. But I'm saying that just to say, think. Be aware of your cognitive bias. Be aware of your confirmation bias. Don't just dismiss it. Just don't agree with it just because you agree with the person. Question what they're saying. You'll find some good stuff in what they're saying. I mean, there's other good things that Alan... Alan Jones says he, he I you know he talks about the the pain and hardship and relational pressure and financial pressure that people are going through. I 100% agree with that. If I could find a way to solve that, we would. So just be aware of your bias and your media input. Uh, uh, the great website for this is called mediabiasfactcheck.com. Mediabiasfactcheck.com. And uh, what this website does, if you're interested, is it you can pop in pretty much any uh, media outlet, newspaper, television channel, whatever, in the world. Well, I don't know. I've never found one that I haven't been able to track down, really. You can pop it in there, and it tells you a few things. It tells you where it sits on the political spectrum from left to right. It also tells you um, how accurate the reporting is. Like, what are the facts? Are the facts that they're reporting truthful or not. And I think the third thing it does is it tells you how much the media comments on the facts that it presents. And so what you're really looking for is a news source that is ideally right in the middle. That's what you want. You want to really, if you think about it, you want a news source that doesn't have a political agenda. You want a news source that presents facts. And ideally, you want a news source that isn't forcing you uh, to, but forcing you to believe or be persuaded a certain perspective by commenting on those facts. There are very few news sources in the world that do that. In fact, Reuters is probably, I think, arguably the most accurate news, um, middle of the road accurate news, uh, one that I'm aware of. Of course, there tends to be American news. Reuters, not not Australian. Uh, the ABC is supposed to be that. It is. It's actually supposed to be. Uh, the, uh, it's my understanding anyway as growing up as a kid it may have changed it but my understanding was the ABC was supposed to present facts it was supposed to be politically neutral it was supposed to be that well even media by a facts check tells me what I already thought and that is that the ABC leans slightly to the left so it's it's sort of left centre um, and those on the right who listen to 2GB will probably think oh the ABC is way left no no it's not way left it's it's left centre so it's closer to the middle than 2GB is to the right or something or, or Sky News is to the right it's probably closer to the middle than the panel is as I mentioned before so just being aware of that um, you might like people to comment you might like to hear different people comment on the facts that's okay but just force yourself to try to listen to different comments so that you weigh them up and don't just grab your confirmation bias okay enough said on that so my faith choice comes down to who i will believe and who i trust what else can i say i probably already said this but here we go my faith choice comes down to who i believe and who i'll trust some will find reports that express a contrary opinion to the authorities many of these will be from genuine people who truly believe what they're saying but I choose to believe that our authorities are trying to do the right thing. Because of that, I have the faith that if the evidence is substantial, then eventually the authorities will change their mind. It's pretty much a conclusion of what I've been saying over the last 15 minutes or so. And that will mean that they will change their mind based on new evidence. And here's the point, friends. We can't have it both ways. We can't keep blaming them for changing their mind while also accusing them of not listening to different perspectives. The natural byproduct of listening to different perspectives and listening to different people's professions, professional opinions and trying to sum up and come up with something, the natural byproduct of that will be shifting because that actually proves that they're listening. 
It doesn't disprove their listening. So we can't have it both ways. We have to give grace to our authorities to figure things out as they go, make the best informed decisions they can. A little bit more on trustworthiness of our governments and the democratic processes. We're not living in a dictatorship. Some parts of the world have that, but we don't. When I was doing my DNA course, I was looking at uh, one of the things that came up was the Nazis eugenics program in the early 20th century, which was really around uh, removing anybody that was different to them through basically they, they didn't have DNA manipulation technology like uh, we have now, but they did it through uh, trying to cross to, to basically sterilize certain, they did it with the Jews, they did it with different people, they basically sterilized certain ethnic groups or people who were different to them or people they didn't like by even sterilizing them uh, when they, without them even realizing the theory was that they would actually kill off that, that stream, that level of DNA, that ethnicity would die out. So that was what the eugenics program was all about. And as I was studying about mRNA, and you might have heard the mRNA vaccine, what does that mean? Uh, and there's some quite strong views and concerns out there that the mRNA vaccine could be could be co-opted or is being co-opted by some satanic plot to to change humanity. And some people are even saying inject it with demonic DNA or inject it with with alien DNA or whatever it might be. Because what mRNA vaccines do, and I'll I'll get an mRNA expert and an immunologist to confirm this at some point. What they do do is they do change some aspects of our DNA. So they alter our DNA so that it fights off the virus. Now, anytime we alter DNA, we need to realize that there are significant ethical implications for that. So it, it is worth thinking that through uh, because that information, that technology in the wrong hands could be detrimental. But really, is the, it, how different is it to nuclear technology? which in the wrong hands can be incredibly detrimental, but in the right hands can be incredibly useful and beneficial. So as with all areas of technology, the technology itself is, is largely neutral. It's, it's the people behind it that determine whether it's good or bad. And so my underlying belief, once again, is that at least in this country, our medical people are, have, the, have our best interests as a nation at heart. They're not self-serving. They're not trying to control or manipulate us. That's my belief. I'm not saying you have to believe that. You're welcome to a different perspective. But because I believe that, I believe that at least in our country that uh, I can trust that our medical people are doing the best and have the best interests at heart. So I want to talk uh, as we move on about religious persecution because I've seen a lot of Christians saying, oh, you know, the fact we can't meet is religious persecution or the fact we can't sing songs in church or even, you know, we can't have more than two people singing a song on a live stream. This is all religious persecution. Some high prominent, prominent, dare I say, leaders have, have come out with that. Well, I don't, I don't believe it. <laughs> Let's put it out there. I don't believe it. And here's why. I don't believe the current restrictions on church gatherings constitute religious persecution. And I actually think to say so is an affront, and I'm going to say this really strongly, friends, because I want you to hear what I think about it. To say so is an affront to people who are genuinely suffering religious persecution. The fact that we can't sing, the fact that we are unable to meet. What about people in China? What about people in the third world? What about people in Islamic nations who genuinely are in fear for their lives if they gather together? That is religious persecution. What we have is so far from religious persecution that it's not even worth comparing in the same game. 
And I actually think it's, it's offensive to the vast majority of people throughout history and the vast majority of Christians in today who don't live in the West for us to be crying poor, saying we're being religiously persecuted. Friends, let's toughen up. We still have the opportunity to share the gospel. We still have the opportunity to meet online. We still have the opportunity to represent Christ and share the gospel and feed the poor and care for the poor. They are fundamental parts of the Christian life. We still have the freedom to worship. That's a fundamental core right of Christian life. We have that. We haven't lost that. The day may come when we do, but it's not now. (laughs) The day may come, but it's not this day. That's the Lord of the Rings coming out of me there. It's not this day. There are people who have that. So let's quit thinking about things through our Western comfortable mindset. Let's show some compassion and grace to people who do have genuine persecution. And so as I wrap up this podcast, I want to do a little study on the book of Daniel. And the reason I want to do that is because I think Daniel presents a superb example, probably the premier example for us of Uh, as a character study anyway, of how uh, we as Christians and followers of God, followers of Jesus, can interact and should interact with the world around us that's antagonistic to our beliefs. And, you know, the world is antagonistic. In the last 30 years, the Christians have gone from being the good guys to being the bad guys as far as the world's concerned. I don't, I don't question that. I don't disagree with that. That's happened. When we've gone from reading a fantastic book at the moment called something like that. I think it's called The Bad Guys by Stephen McAlpin. And, uh, and he said we've gone from being the good guys to, to one of the guys to the bad guys. Now, where, where Christians go back 30, 40, 50 years, Christian viewpoint, even if people didn't, didn't like it or agree with it, there was still this sense of, oh, you, well, you're the moral ones. And uh, now we've gone from being just the uh, just one of the perspectives to Christian morals almost being seen as wrong, as as unethical, as uncaring, as unloving, immoral. And so that's the world that we're in. Well, friends, that was very similar to the world that Daniel was living in as an exile in Babylon. And so there's some great character studies in us. I heard some. I've heard a couple of podcasts actually in recent times where people have, have li- tried to liken the, the religious persecution we're feeling for the fact we're not allowed to worship and likening that to Daniel. So I thought, okay, well, if that's the case, let me spend a few minutes. You might have heard that. So let me spend a few minutes unpacking the story of Daniel and putting a different spin on it for you. And you're going to see where I'm going with this in a minute. So maybe you don't know the book of Daniel. It's, I think it's 12 chapters long. might take you 45 minutes to an hour to read it probably. So it's worth reading. But here, here's it in a nutshell. Daniel... He, who was he? He was, a, he was a Jewish exile. He was a member of the royal household. We don't even know what part of the royal household, whether he was... We, we, there's no evidence that he was a descendant of the king. But he, he'd grown up in the Jewish aristocracy in Jerusalem. And uh, he was a young man at the time of the exile, when King Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC broke through the walls of Jerusalem and carried off the remaining Jews into exile to Babylon... Uh, Daniel was among, he and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were among people who were taken because obviously they were from the aristocracy and Nebuchadnezzar thought, I want some people who are, who come from that perspective. I'll, I'll bring them into my court. And so Daniel was taken and he was raised and served in the court of a pagan government that was anti-God. So he became a high official in a pagan government that was anti-God. Well, that should tell us something straight away. Oh, We should look at Daniel to see how he responded in a world that had everything against him, against the things he valued, the things he believed, because that's the world that Daniel was living in. And we're going to find that Daniel actually distinguished himself very well in that environment. 
So a few things about Daniel. Well, his name was changed. We call him Daniel, but it tells us the King Nebuchadnezzar changed his name from Daniel to Belteshazzar. I think it is Belteshazzar, named after Nebuchadnezzar's god. So in a 21st century example of that, that would be, let's let's assume that uh, tomorrow Parliament House was to be ransacked and an Islamic government was going to come in and take over. And uh, you as a high official were uh, of the previous government were brought in and they said, they, they said, we're going to get you to represent us and we're going to change your name to Muhammad. How do you think a Christian would behave in today's world if they were told they had to change their name to Muhammad? Well, Daniel pretty much had to do that. And there's no evidence that it bothered him. He chose to pick his battles. There is evidence on other things. For instance, it talks about how he was told he had to eat all these unclean meats. Now, for Daniel, that was drawing a line. He goes, I'm not going to eat those meats. Uh, and he didn't. But even then, look at read the story about how he uh, approached it. He did it graciously. He didn't stand up for his rights and say, oh, I have a right not to eat meat. I have a right to do my religious freedoms. He didn't, he didn't stand up for his rights. He did it graciously. He went and spoke to the eunuch who's in charge, and he said, hey, um, is it okay if we don't eat meat? He actually was thinking about the eunuch, and the eunuch goes, well, no, I can't let you do that because if it doesn't work, it's, on my, it's my head. He's got, the king's going to come after me for disobeying his order. Daniel graciously, very cleverly, says, how about you just give us 10 days? Just give us 10 days to eat veggies and see how we go. And the eunuch says, okay, I'll give that a go. At the end of it, God honors Daniel's faithfulness and they're stronger and fitter than all the others. But you see, he wasn't waving placards on the street saying, it's, I've got my rights. He wasn't launching conferences around Australia saying, I've got my, I'm standing out for my rights. He wasn't doing any of that. He found a way to maintain his integrity and do it in a way that actually won over the eunuch and ultimately won over Nebuchadnezzar as well. So that's that's the first story in Daniel. The most famous story, of course, in Daniel is the story of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. And this story comes about because the religious leaders, uh, oh, sorry, the, the government leaders, the government officials that worked for Daniel, actually Daniel ended up being over them all, um, they didn't like him. They, they, they were jealous of him. They were jealous of his influence. And they said, we can't get him on any matter of integrity. They looked and they couldn't find anywhere. He wasn't slacking off on work hours. He wasn't stopping to pray uh, during his work hours. He wasn't doing anything that he wasn't allowed to do. He maintained his integrity in the things that he did. So much so that they couldn't get him on anything other than, they said, let's get him on a matter of his own religious observance. That's how we'll get him. And so what they did is they tricked the king and king's busy man. They tricked the king. They said, oh, king, live forever. Great way to butter up the king. King, live forever. In the next 30 days, would you issue a decree that anyone who worships anybody but you gets thrown into the lion's den? King goes, sounds like a good idea to me. Let's do it. Make it happen. So he issues the decree and he seals it. And uh, Daniel gets a hold of this decree. And the story goes that Daniel read the decree and then he went home, probably in his lunch break, whatever, went home. Three times a day, as was his custom, opened the doors of his window, opened the windows, didn't do it in private, opened the windows, and he prayed to, uh, he prayed to, continue to pray towards Jerusalem, and prayed three times a day. And the end result of that was that they came back and they got, they said, we've got him now. They came back and they said to the king, you know what you promised? Well, Daniel, the one of the exiles, the guy that, you know, is faithful to you, he denied it. He refused to do it. He's still praying. And so Nebuchadnezzar was, Heart-stricken, first of all. He was absolutely devastated that he'd issued a decree that would cost him one of his top executives. So stop right there for a minute. Daniel was being defiant. 
It was called, he was defying a decree, but I want to show you how he did that. I want to show you the way he defied it. But first of all, I want to say, are we living such a life that those in the world actually would have a problem if they had to issue a decree that went against us? Because if we aren't in a position where we are having such a positive influence on the world that it would cause them grief, then we can't claim to be Daniel. Does that make sense? We can't claim to say, oh, we're like Daniel, we're persecuted like Daniel. But Daniel was doing such a flipping good job at serving a pagan king and upholding righteousness and doing the right thing and working integrity that the king was devastated that he had to do it. That's the first thing. And then when Daniel comes before the king, finally, the king can't get out of it. Even then, Daniel is gracious. Even then, Daniel is prepared to pay the price, as are his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the separate story as well. Same principle. If we're prepared to stand up and have a religious conviction about something, we have to be prepared to suffer the consequences of that religious uh, perspective. And here's where I think we've gone wrong. There's a lot of Christians saying, I want my rights. I have my right. I'm standing up for my right. But we aren't prepared to suffer the consequences. The early church didn't stand up for its rights. The early church cared for the poor. The early church reached out to the needy. The early church willingly went through being burned at the stake, thrown to the lions. They didn't throw placards around, go around protesting against Rome. Jesus didn't even do that. Jesus says, hey, you don't like these Romans? Well, well, I tell you, it was a Roman can make you carry their, their bag for one mile. Don't stand there with a protest going, get out Romans, we don't like what you're doing. He's, Jesus says, I'll show you what you do. Go a second mile. Show extra kindness to go an extra mile to show them a different way of life. Daniel and his friends are an example of people who stood up for God, but did it in a way that actually won people over because it wasn't about their rights. They were prepared to give up their rights for others. So that's, uh, as I get ready to close, I want to I want to pull out one other thought about Daniel. This is this caught me straight away. I heard a, I heard a pastor say on a podcast that we like Daniel because Daniel t- stood up for God when um, when his right to worship was taken away. So he protested basically, and he went ahead and worshipped anyway. Therefore, we as Christians should uh, worship and open our churches and worship anyway because we the government is not. To, not about telling us about worship practices. And uh, at first thought, people might go, well, that makes sense. But here's where I think that's wrong. There's a difference. We cannot claim Daniel as our example. Why? Because Daniel was being told who to worship, not how to worship. He was being told he's not allowed to worship God. He was told he had to worship Nebuchadnezzar the king. We're not being told we can't worship Jesus. We might be told how we can worship Jesus, but we're not being told we can't worship Jesus. So friends, let's look for clever ways to continue to worship Jesus. And here's the other motive. The king was doing it for selfish purposes. I don't. I choose because of those premises I talked about earlier in the podcast. I'm not choosing. I'm choosing to believe that our government might be putting restrictions on us, not because they're worried about us worshiping. First of all, they're not telling us who we can worship, but they're doing it because they're trying to prevent COVID-19 spreading. That's a different motive to Nebuchadnezzar telling Daniel who he could worship. Does that make sense? So that's where I sit with this. I want us to be a people. And as far as I can, the culture of the church that I lead, and there'll be different people within our church that have different perspectives, and that's that's up to you. But as a leader in the church, I want us to be a church that 
does our best to abide by the fact that we have a government who's trying to do the best they can to help us and that we're going to stay positive and we're going to look out for others. We're going to do unto others as we would have them do unto you. Instead of crying out for our needs and what we haven't haven't got and what the government should be doing for us and they should be giving us more or they should be opening us up or they should be shutting us down, instead of worrying about us, I'm going to, find, I'm going to encourage us to be a church that looks beyond our borders and finds people who are worse off than we are locally and globally and do what we can to support them and help them. All right, well, that's the end of this podcast. I hope that it encouraged you. I'm glad I've got it off my chest. I've got a resource base that when people continue to ask questions, I can send them to this podcast. Keep an eye out. I will hopefully, all things considered over the coming weeks or months, get a few more episodes out. I want to talk about uh, vaccines. Uh, let me see what else I had in mind that I have a few other thoughts I wanted to talk about. I'll just pull them up on my screen. Uh, I want to deal with the issue of woke Christianity. What does that mean? Some of you know what woke is, some of you don't. And this uh, as though, you know, it's a new type of Christianity. I want to talk about that. Uh, I'd like to talk about the issue of the gospel in relation to social justice. The justice is a central part of the gospel. And people, oftentimes what's happening is people who uh, are focused on justice are being called woke. They're saying, well, you've gone all woke. You're focusing on something other than the gospel. Well, I don't believe that. And I'm going to show us why. We'll talk about why we believe that justice is central to the gospel. And hopefully, all things considered, we'll get a guest in to talk about that. I want to deal with some of the challenges of this season. And this will probably be one of the newer podcasts, uh, sooner podcasts. I want to deal with the challenges people are facing and some practical tips and hearing from people who are going through uh, loss of work, loss of income, working from home, uh, homeschooling kids. I want to deal with the, the the actual rubber hit the road, how to live that life. So that'll probably be one that I will try to talk about. And I'd like to talk, as I said, about research earlier. And what, is, what does research really look like? What does it mean to say that we're informed or that we are an expert on a topic? So that's just a few thoughts that I've had. Hopefully I'll get together in the coming coming weeks. God bless. Thanks for listening today. Have a great day. I hope it has blessed you. Hey, like this podcast, share this podcast. If you could rate the podcast, that helps to get it out there as well. Feel free if you listen to the previous episodes from Series 1, once you share those with someone as well, you know, just send the link to them of the podcast and say, hey, I've been listening to this podcast. I think it might help you. That'll help us to get the word out there, but also hopefully that it's a resource for you as you are a Christian in a COVID culture and how you interact with the world around you. God bless. Talk to you next time.